Father, we come before you this morning in awe of who you are, in awe of who you have been toward us this week, in awe of who your scriptures have shown us, even in the lyrics we have already sang this morning. Lord, I pray that you would continue to draw us close, you'd continue to strike us with the awe and beauty of who you are as we peer into your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray um, just specifically this morning uh, over uh, the psalm that we'll be walking through. Lord, that you would do something mighty. You would do something supernatural and miraculous in our church and in our lives and in our homes as as we gather uh, this morning and and peer in and find out uh, more about you and who you are. And may we uh, respond and align our lives accordingly for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, good morning, Um, and right off the top, like we typically do, I want to just share a few announcements uh, with you. Uh, We have uh, another gathering uh, this morning. If you're you're joining us online uh, on Sunday morning, we're actually gathering right now at Rosemary Barn uh, on the lawn for our family reunion. Uh, We miss you, Um, but uh, we're having another gathering, August 30th, uh, right here on the square, and it's going to be our baptism celebration, and we are so excited about uh, getting together outside and, and celebrating and worshiping all that God has done, even particularly through this season in transforming hearts, uh, saving uh, folks that, that the grace of God and, and the grace of Jesus Christ has just washed over our church and, and, and he saw fit during this season to redeem and to save. And we're going to celebrate that by uh, water baptism, right? This public profession of faith. And, and so many of you um, maybe have been part of those celebrations. Some of you, this, this will be totally new to you. And, and, and water baptism for us is one of the greatest celebrations we do uh, corporately as a faith family to just exclaim the joy of salvation working itself out through people and, and people, people publicly professing. So we're actually going to do that uh, here um, outside of the impact on Tennessee Street. So make plans August 30th uh, to be with us uh, at our baptism celebration. And I also want to say, if you haven't been water baptized uh, after your confession of faith in, in Jesus Christ, that is the next biblical step. So um, respond to us, reach out to us, tell us you, you, you need to, you want to be water baptized. And we know this season is different and we are uh, handling things appropriately during the season, but we still want to be obedient to the scriptures and, and do water baptisms co- collectively and celebrate and, and publicly profess our salvation in Jesus Christ. And so uh, reach out. If you haven't been baptized, there, there is no good excuse after professing faith in Jesus Christ. Christ uh, for you not to be water baptized. So reach out. If you have questions, let us know. Um, but uh, we look forward to, to that day uh, so much. And, and, and the second one is we do weekly. We want to just remind you of our shared practices that are happening uh, as our, our community uh, does these spiritual disciplines together. And this week is a kneeling prayer. If you have your card, you see it on there, kneeling prayer three times a day, uh, morning, afternoon and evening, taking time, just pausing, and, and, and not just pausing, but posturing our physical bodies um, in a kneeling posture to call upon the Lord and, and ask Him and to worship Him and, and see what He uh, has in store for us as, as a community and as us as, as families individually. So uh, that's our shared practice, that each and every day we'd stop down, um, even just briefly, for uh, three times and kneel in prayer and, and call out uh, to God. And, and then last, this is, is a lot of you went back to school this week, and, and we have been praying for you, students and, and uh, faculty and, and, and teachers and all those who are part of the school system, and, and for you 
you as parents who now transitioned into some online learning or maybe you transitioned to, to homeschooling, uh, we realize the nature and the weight and the gravity of what's taking place uh, in, in our society right now and just the pressures, the unique pressures on you as um, school leaders and in, in administrators and things like that. I heard about one, one principal working, you know, like 29 hours a day or something crazy like that. Um, I remember driving past Caldwell uh, late at night one time, and, and there were a few faculty members walking out of Caldwell really, really late at night. And, and so we know what, what you're pouring out, and we're just praying that the Lord would fill you up and you would sense his presence uniquely in this time. So church, let's just continue to, to lift up them this week and, and over the next several weeks as, as this is just a, a weird time. And so, all right, so if you have your Bibles, go to Psalm 133, Psalm 133. In 33, uh, this is only three verses, and we're going to walk through all three. Um, when you think about words uh, that describe our current cultural context, uh, what are they? And you can kind of popcorn them in, in your living room right now. Uh, what, what are they? So just go ahead, kids, participate in this as well, adults, uh, you know, uh, think about what you're saying before you say it. Uh, I, I bet one... That, that didn't get said is, is something that's going to be highlighted here in Psalm 133 specifically. And that's this word, unity. Um, unity. You see, the scriptures um, are abundantly clear when it comes to this idea and this heart of unity. Unfortunately, in our culture, in our context, um, even really close to home right now, uh, unity is not a word that we would describe what is taking place or what we're feeling or what we're sensing, uh, maybe inside the church and outside the church. But I want to remind us as a faith family, I want to remind us as a church that the community of God, right, the people of God, the church is meant and built and redeemed to be an alternative picture a better vision for life, right? Not just another choice in, in culture, but the best way, an alternative kingdom, right? You have the kingdom of God that transcends all other kingdoms to the world around us. So as the world peers into the redeemed people of God, as the world peers into the church, we should be an alternative picture to, to, to what they see, what they experience, what we're seeing and what we're experiencing as exiles, as sojourners in this kingdom, we should see in the community of faith, in, in the church, a different picture, a better way. And one of the loudest and boldest witnesses will be our unity. Jesus says it like this, like, they will know, unbelievers will know your love for me by your love for one another. You'll know, they'll know that you are Christ because you love one another, because you have a unique unity. You see, unity, biblically speaking, is not a general spirit of friendliness or camaraderie, right? It's not simply that uh, we agree on everything. In fact, we'll, we'll see that that's, that that's different, you know? It's something much more deep than that, and it's something much more powerful, biblically speaking, than that. And so I want to say this as we get into this message, that this really, this message from Psalm 133 is, is, is just a primer for a discussion and a, a, a biblical practice of unity that we're going to be talking about and walking in um, throughout the rest of, uh, of this time and, 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 and for a long future, right? This is something that we need to press into our hearts and our souls because this is something that is being proactively attacked in us. So I want to use Psalm 133, like I said, as a primer in really looking at what the Bible uh, says about unity and calls from 
us in, in terms of unity. So let's read it. Psalm 133, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And so Psalm 133 is a psalm of ascent. And we've covered a couple psalms of ascent, but just way of reminder, a psalm of ascent is a psalm or a prayer that was sang as the people of God uh, made their way to worship the Lord uh, in Jerusalem, okay? And so they would sing these things to remind and to press into their hearts as they prepare to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. And so this psalm, oh, it, it, it is central to what the people of God were reminding themselves about unity, and the first thing I want you to notice that, that Psalm 133 points out to us about unity is this, that unity is both good and pleasing. Did you, did you see that? How good and pleasing it is when brothers and sisters, when the people of God dwell in unity, okay? So let's look at these two words, good and pleasing. So there are things in life that, that, that are good, uh, but not pleasant, right? Um, Broccoli, right? Some of you, you kids can relate to this. Uh, uh, um, asparagus, those greens, right? Brussels sprouts, right? They're good for us because they give us, uh, you know, vitamin shots and all, all these different things, right? But, but not many of us think that they're very pleasant, right? Um, running. Now, some of you, I, I know, love this, but, but running is like this discipline. It's good for our body. It's good for our hearts. It's good for our health, but pleasant, not a word that comes to mind when I think about that, um, right? So you have things that are good, but not pleasant. You have things in life that are pleasant, uh, but not good. Keeping with uh, the food analogy, right? Uh, chocolate cake, very, very pleasant. Some of you are going, it's very good. Well, it depends how, how you think uh, about good, right? It's not good for our bodies, but it's, it's, it's very pleasant. You see, so here is, is what the Lord describes as something good and pleasant, meaning it's something morally good and, for the people of God, emotionally pleasant. And so good, when we see it here and in the scriptures, it's this. It's what God requires, God only requires that which is good. God calls for from his people and gives to his people only that which is good, and he requires it. And so you could think of it like this in a common term we've used, is that this is, this is a duty, that, that unity is good, and therefore God asks and requires it from his people. But it's not just good in terms of duty, it is pleasant. Not just that it pleases God, but it's pleasant to the brothers and sisters. It's pleasant to the church. And so he's going, listen, it's good that it's your duty, but also it's pleasant in that we should delight in it. Unity among believers is what ought to be, and it should be what we want and rejoice in. And so what kind of unity, uh, David wrote this psalm, by the way, what kind of, of, of unity is Davis, da David uh, commanding here? He's not simply stating about us having a, a physical unity, right, where we're standing in the same place at impact, right? Surely that's not the unity. But, and I've been in situations, right, like you have, where people have been physically present, but there has been disun disunity in spirit and heart, and that wasn't good or, or pleasant. You see, the unity that he's speaking about and that the scriptures talk about that is both good and pleasant 
I think we can look in a few facets. One, that there would be unity among the church, among the brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, around uh, theological things. That theologically there would be a unity. And what I mean theologically is this, that we have a unified understanding of who God is and how he operates. And so theologically, we would call these things like close-handed issues, the, the things that are central and core to our salvation. Theologically, the things that, that the scriptures call for explicitly, that there is no nuance to them, there is, there is, there is no um, um, wavering on them, they are central and core to who we are. And so this is a theological unity um, that God longs for, that is both good and pleasant in the church. But, but let's be careful. I think there's also another unity that, that the Bible talks about, and it's a, it's, it's a spiritual unity. And what I mean by a, a, a unity, uh, a spiritual unity is this, that there is a, a shared burning zeal and a pursuit of Jesus, that, that there is a unity in how a people pursue and approach this God, right? This, the, the God of the Bible, that it's one thing to have a theological unity and go, yes, we agree. And we check these boxes and we do all those things. And that, that, that is very, very important. It is also important for us as a body to be spiritually unified in that how we approach this God, how we're hungering, how we, how we run hard and go hard after God. It, that must be a unified practice. That must be something that the Lord is doing and the Spirit is doing in our midst. And the third thing on a good and pleasing unity that we see biblically is that there would be a unified um, obedience. There would be a unified way of living. And we, something we say at the Parks Church a lot is like this idea of being whole life disciples transformed by the way of Jesus. And so that last part, by the way of Jesus, meaning we understand what Jesus has called us to and how he has called us to construct and live our lives. And there is a unity around that. There is a unified pursuit of obedience, understanding what Jesus has called us to and what Jesus has not called us to, the way in which the kingdom of God operates and the way in which the kingdom of God does not operate. You see, it is good and pleasant unity when we have a, a common understanding of those things and a shared pursuit toward God in a real way. Listen, church, this is something we should fight for. This is something we should want. This is something we should desperately pray for God because for God to do in our midst. Because listen, the enemy, what he longs to do is to deceive and to divide. I mean, he is the father of lies, right? What he wants to bring into the church is dissension and division. Don't you think for a moment that he is not trying to leverage this season to breed and bring dissension and division into the church, into the park's church? We long for uh, this good and pleasant unity to dwell richly among us, but it's not just going to happen in a casual way. It's going to happen when we desire it, when we pray for it, when we seek for it, when we, when we, when we fight for it. You see, I began to look through the Psalms and other places where good and pleasant were attached. And, and there were two Psalms in particular where it was attached together and they were attached to the same thing. So Psalm uh, uh, 135 and Psalm 147, you can look them up on your own. They attached good and pleasant, one, to who the Lord is, that the Lord is good and it's pleasant to worship or praise him. So hear me, good and pleasant is always attached to who God is and the worship of him, the adoration, the, 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 the all-sacrificing life lived in surrender to God. That is when we understand what is both good and pleasant. And David in Psalm 133 is saying, listen, unity is good and pleasant. 
Parks Church, unity is something we should fight and foster and drive toward with all that we are because God has said, listen, this is good and pleasant for you. And then he goes on in these last two verses and he says, unity is like two things. Did you, did you see this? Verse two, he says, it's like precious oil. So the first thing he says is unity or good and pleasant unity is like oil and not just any oil, but like the good stuff, you know, precious oil, God appointed oil. And so I, I want to think about this. What is actually being focused on in this analogy? He could have used any analogy he wanted, but he chose to use oil. It's interesting. When you go to Exodus 30, there are actually instructions about uh, this oil that, 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 that they would have put together. And the first thing I want you to see about this, this oil, one, is it's fragrant. And so unity, this is the point I want to make here, unity is the fragrance of the church. You read Exodus 30 about this oil and all the things that go into place, and there is this idea of this fragrance that would go out so that people with their senses, even if they couldn't see, they could still smell this aroma that would remind them of God or would point them to something sweet. You see, when unity is in the body of Christ, it is a fragrance to the watching world. And not just a witness to the watching world to those who don't know him. It is a sweet fragrance also to one another, right? When the kingdom of this earth is filling us with stench and just, just nastiness, the, the, the sweetness of unity, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.15, it fills with this aroma of Christ to both those who know him and those who are perishing. That's what this picture of oil is. It's not just fragrant. There are other things about this oil, right? It's, it's sacred. That the kind of unity that the Bible talks about and that Psalm 133 is painting is a sacred unity. That we are a people set apart in this kind of unity is an alternative, a different picture, a better vision of what God has for his people and for those who are peering in those who understand divisiveness, those who understand disunity. This is a picture of a sacred unity. And in the third, you think about it, when this was written in the Middle East and the dry heat and, 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 and what oil would have been used for in terms of just you know, practical purposes, oil was a very soothing thing. And so this analogy, and I don't want to run this, this analogy too far down the court, but I think it does provide this idea that this unity is like oil because it's soothing that it soothes us in a dry and weary land. I mean, because that's where they were. It soothes our bodies and our souls, and, and it helps us to understand and live in such a way that is not contentious, but is actually loving and surrendering to one another. And third and last, I think he uses oil because oil biblically is symbolic of the presence of God and the divine blessing of God. That this unity is not brought about because we go, you know what, we're going to talk a lot about unity, and by golly, we're going to be unified. No, that we see biblically that unity is given through Christ by the Spirit of God. And we're going to see that in Ephesians 4, in a second. But this is a divine blessing from our Lord that we would have this kind of unity. And listen, by God's grace, we have seen this. Not perfectly, but we have seen this in great forms and fashions here at the Parks Church, even through seasons like we're walking through right now. Now, but I also want to address this idea of how he paints this picture in verse 2. Precious oil on the head, running down the beard, the beard of Aaron. Now, Aaron being this, this, the high priest, right? The, the one who would mediate between God and, and the people. But oil running down the head, the beard, the collar, 
I think what David is, is painting here is not just these, these, these facts about what the oil is, but he's also talking about the amount of oil that is poured upon God's people. That good and pleasant unity is, is, is excessive when God pours it out upon a people. And now, I want you to think about this. Is, is thinking about oil being poured over your head and running down your beard and, and, and on your shirt, the picture I get is like one of, of like really messy, right? Like, it's, it, like I, don't, I don't want oil poured out upon me unless... Unless it's an oil that God gives so that I might be a faithful witness, that I might be unified with my brothers and sisters, that I might be, it might be a soothing peace in our lives and in our midst, that I'm like, listen, give all of that to me. And I think what David is saying is the unity that God gives, it's excessive and it's more than we need because that's how God lavishes upon his people and upon his church. And so listen, any measure of true God-given unity within the church, within even our lives, is more than we deserve. And again, I want to say we have experienced this so much at the Parks Church, and we should be affected by the excess of God's given unity and blessing in, in our midst, in our faith family, amongst one another. Again, we, have done, we haven't done everything perfectly, but there is a spirit of unity and togetherness within this faith family that we should celebrate and worship God, but not take it for granted. The third thing and last thing is this. Look at verse three. This unity, this good and pleasant unity, is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. And so first there, you need to understand what David is painting. The, the mountain of Hermon or the mountain of Hermon is the highest, would have been the highest mountain in Israel. And he's like, it's like a dew or a water that flows down, which would be to the smaller or the lesser Zion. Not, not talking about them spiritually, but down to, to Zion. And so unity or good and pleasant unity is this picture that this refreshing water of the Lord flows down from the heights to the place where man mediates or God mediates with men. That unity of God is like, for us as New Testament Christians, the dew of Christ from heaven to Jerusalem. That through him, right, by his blood, that we are saved, we are redeemed, that Christ made peace, brought together unity with us because he came from heaven and put on flesh to dwell among us and die the death we deserve, that Ephesians tells us that he tore down the wall of hostility that divided us between God. You want to talk about unity? You cannot do it apart from talking about Jesus Christ. Psalm 133 points to the greatest unity, the greatest peace ever made. And notice he alludes to it at the end of verse three. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. That life, that dew, that water, that life-giving water flowing down from Mount Hermon to Zion is epitomized in Jesus Christ. He is the life-giving water, that we are unified and have unity as a body through Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so hear me, unity is, is not just only in occasional meetings, but unity is meant for the body of Christ, for us as the Parks Church, to be our course in the course of our whole lives in us submitting to King Jesus and submitting to one another in love. Now listen to me. 
There may not always be oneness of view view and, and of opinion, like there won't be. But there can always be and should always be a oneness of spirit because of Christ. This is what he prays in John 17 before he goes to the cross. Father, let them be one as Father, you and I are one. That is Jesus's prayer for his church. And so here to close, I, w- I want to spend just a, a practical moment talking about how do we proactively fight and maintain the unity together in such a chaotic world? How, how do we foster this kind of unity that my heart longs for? I long for this good and pleasant unity to continue. Thankfully, the Bible's not silent. So we turn to the letter of Paul, Ephesians 4, and he tells us exactly how to do this. So, so Ephesians 4, 23, flip there. It says, be humble and gentle in every way. Be patient with each other and lovingly accept each other. Through the peace that ties you together, unity, do your best to maintain the unity that the Spirit gives. All right, so did you see what Paul just did there? Is he said, listen, do your best to maintain the unity that God gives. So first, like I've already said, God is the one who gives the unity through Christ by his spirit, all right? But there is something on us. He says, do your best to maintain. So how do we maintain unity? Look at Ephesians 4. We maintain unity by humility first, humility and gentleness. And listen, we need to be putting these into practice Proverbs 15.1 says this, he says, a soft answer turns away wrath, or a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, stirs up dissension. Let's think about how we use our tongue. Proverbs talks about uh, in in the tongue is the, the power of life and death, unity or division, right? That there would be a humility and a gentleness in our speech and in our conduct that would be this healing balm in our church, in our relationships, and in our community. Second thing is this, to to maintain and to fight for unity is patience. Patience. This life together as the church and with one another is a long game. And this one, this, one, this one of patience goes a long way, but I think is, is lacking in, in many of us that we, we, First Peter, he puts it like this in, in three, chapter three, verse eight, he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, that we would be slow to speak and quick to listen, right? Maybe they say slow to post or, or repost or just spit out what you think are are, are facts, and we would be quick to listen and understand. And and like Peter says, we would be quick to to sympathize, that there would be a patience and an air of of, of long-suffering with one another to maintain unity, the unity of the Spirit that it brings. In our our society and our culture, and even creeping into the church, there's a lot of quick-tempered, quick-tongued responses to everything that's happening right now even in my own life, and what that shows is that, that our wells are, are empty, that, 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 that they're not full of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, one of them which is patience, that patience will be one of those things that the Lord walks us through as he brings unity in us. Third, I think this is a practical point, is that we need to, we need to just get rid of all of the divisive outlets and spaces that feed that part to us. Like, what are you consuming with your eyes and your ears? 
That if you're serious about fighting for uh, unity, Ephesians 4, maintaining unity, you're going to have to guard your heart and your mind and your eyes that the enemy will use to hijack these things and breed division. What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you consuming? Who are you talking with? Is it... Is it inflaming division and disunity and distrust? Or is it bringing about Holy Spirit-soothed unity in your life and in our church? Second Timothy says this, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. That's what that divisive speech is like. It's like a fire. It's like gangrene. It just spreads. Fourth, and, and, and I, I realize how difficult this one is in this season, we need to be in proximity to one another. If we're serious about maintaining the bond of unity and the peace of unity that the Spirit brings, we need to be in proximity to one another. And, and I know some of you are like, well, let's, let's, let's then have Sunday morning service. All right, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. But let's think even more deeply than just that, right? That's an easy answer. But being together two or three or four in these small groups, what are you doing in those groups? What are you talking about? What's, what's capturing your conversation? Is, is, is it unity or is it disunity? Are, are you seeking God? Are you praying? Are you asking God that his spirit might come in might and power, that he might give you wisdom in this age and how to live as exiles and sojourners? Or you just talk. And that gangrene, like, like, like Timothy says, is just spreading. That babble is just spreading. You see, we need to be in proximity to one another to understand what God is calling us to. We need to be in proximity to one another so that we can see eye to eye, so that we can sympathize, so that we can, we can walk together, so that we can show this brotherly love and affection one to another. Listen, proximity to one another goes one of two ways, right? It can be a healing balm of unity or it can breed disunity, right? And that's where, like... Paul says in Ephesians 4, that's up to you to maintain this spirit of unity. Fight for it. And the last thing is this, and this is, this is how we'll end before we take communion, is that we need to pray for it. We need to ask God to give us individually and corporately this kind of heart. You see, this morning, and, and you can pause the video if you need to right now to go get the elements. That which afforded us even to talk about this kind of supernatural unity is the unity that has come through the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ. Paul talks, and again, Ephesians 2, about the wall of hostility being torn down, and what he replaced it with was unity between us and the Father because of Christ, because of his sacrifice. And so we're going to take this communion this morning, and I pray that maybe you need to pause this video and just repent. Um, and get your heart right and get your mind right before the Lord before you take this. And that, that's, that's right and that's biblical and proper. But I want us to take this as a, even though we're scattered as a church with a unified heart because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You know, we can work hard toward unity, but apart from Christ, it'll never happen. Apart from his spirit working and moving through us, it's an impossibility. But we have the assurance that he is with us. He is the one who unifies us. All of our different temperaments, all of our different points of view, all of our different uh, political stances, and all of those things, right, that, that, that are peripheral, right, they, they grow strangely dim in light 
of the beauty and the unifying power of the Spirit through Christ. So let's fix our eyes upon him. And so this morning, let's take the bread that represents his broken body. Let's take the cup that represents his shed blood for us. And the only fitting response to communion is what? That's right, worship. So let's worship our God in prayer right now. Father, I pray over our church, God, that, that, that we would be a beacon of hope and unity because Christ in your spirit has filled us full, not of information, not of, of mere knowledge of you, but of, of, of your presence and of your spirit that is alive and working in us. Oh God, I pray that you would, you would help us in how we fate, uh, fight to maintain the unity of the spirit that he gives us, O oh Lord. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot wage war against the enemy in our own strength. We will lose every time, Lord, but you are more powerful. You have defeated Satan. So I pray that, that you going before us, we would have the confidence. We would have the confidence and the hope and the assurance to fight for this kind of unity at the Parks Church, and we would stand as a better and the best picture and alternative to this kingdom that everyone else is working hard toward that we would point to the kingdom of God and what you are about and what your heart is about for your glory. Lord, we love you. I love you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the sweet unity that you have brought in her. Now we pray that you would continue to maintain that in our church and in our midst for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, I love you. Um, we'll see you soon.